So the part that the lectionary writers leave out is that prior to the decision to kill Joseph, the brothers have been subjected to a really annoying Joseph. Right? The passage that we have says, okay, dreamer. And we can interpret that as what we have here in some kind of highfalutin way, but they mean it in a very specific way. Because Joseph has reported to them he had a dream in which all of his brothers would bow down before him. And for those of you who remember your uh, Sunday school lessons, this actually happens because Joseph winds up in Egypt as a counselor to the Pharaoh, and then his brothers come down in famine and need his help to survive. But Joseph tells them, Joseph, the 17-year-old, one of the youngest of the children, we know this, he is the child of Jacob's old age. Rachel is barren for a long time before Joseph and Benjamin come along. But Joseph, one of the youngest brothers, is telling them all, you will bow down before me. Now, how many of you have had a really annoying younger sibling? Anyone? Okay, one or two. Luckily, my brother and sister are not here um, because I was the youngest in my family. How many of you remember when they were 17 and knew everything in the world? Anyone? Okay, there we go. There we go. Raise some hands. So you remember how annoying that was when you wanted to say to them, and maybe you did, sit down, you're 12 and don't know anything. So we see Joseph's brothers are overreacting slightly, um, although it's also possible that Joseph is even more annoying than any of our siblings were. And we also know that in the context of his family, this is not the first time death plots have been made. You know, there is something of a precedent here in this family in that Esau, his father's brother, also tried to kill his father, right? Are we tracking? Do we remember? Okay. Um, and so this is absolutely out of line, but something that is in the tradition of the family. And so you see Jacob acting, or Joseph acting in this way, not knowing how to deal with this power he has, uh, because he does, in fact, dream this dream that does come true, and his brothers don't know how to react to it. And in our lives, this happens to us a lot. We are faced with annoying people, yes? Right? Okay, hush you. Um, Beth, my loving wife, has just piped up, and then we want to kill them. Um, no, we're faced with annoying people. We're faced with situations that are annoying, and we're faced with know-it-alls. And we have a choice before us, and that choice is this. Do we lash out, not wanting to kill them, but doing things like yelling at them, like humiliating them, like giving them wedgies, uh, giving them swirlies, other things that we think about as things older people do to younger people who annoy them. Do we react like that? Do we react by simply telling him, no, you don't know anything? That's a choice that we have. And that's effectively the choice that Joseph's brothers have, certainly Reuben, who tempers them and says, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's just throw him down into a well that has no water in it. Um, and the implication here is his brothers think he's going to uh, die of thirst down there. Reuben's going to sneak back later on and rescue him. But all these things are things that we can do. We can say, no, you young person who has not lived at all and does not understand anything about life, you don't deserve to be listened to. No, young person, you are only eight years old and have no good ideas. 
No, you know it all. You need to be put in your place and learn your role. And that's a choice that we have, and it's a choice that we sometimes make. I at least have made that in the past. This is a long way around of me telling you why I was away last weekend at a fraternity convention. Because this is a thing that I can tell you from experience, not a lot of mainline ministers go to. Uh, we are not well represented in the fraternity ranks. And part of it is even those of us who were active as undergraduates um, sort of understand after a little while of exposure to the world that fraternities are, at their core, engines for promoting class difference. I mean, that's what fraternities are. Like, there are a lot of other things they are, but they're a way for people who definitionally have money, A, they're in college, B, they're in college with enough disposable income to pay heavy dues every semester, um, to get to know one another so that they can go on and do well in life. And when we realize that, and when we look at the history of fraternities, where uh, in my own Sigma Chi fraternity, I think we revoked the white clause, um, the requirement for chapters to send in pictures of their pledge class to make sure there were no black members as uh, early as 1975. Um, it's hard to say why would I want to be associated with something with this history. And for me, part of it was that in the fraternity chapter I grew up in at Yale, it was different. Um, you knew it when we showed up in the room. <laughs> Uh, the room suddenly looked a lot different when Adisu Demissi showed up and with Sunil Phillip, when Sunil Phillip showed up and with uh, Renendra Shakya, my pledge brother. When these guys showed up in the room, Farn Young, Arvind Fu, my pledge class president, showed up in the room, we knew it was not the same old kind of fraternity. And so that's why I'm still involved, is that I look at these engines and say, is there a way that we can use what this thing is? This thing that has been used for such evil in the years, hazing, um, racial discrimination, uh, discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, violence, violence against women. Is there a way we can use this to flip the story? Is there a way we can use this so that these people who have been the perpetrators of all these things can instead be the ones who look out and say, no, the world can be different. And this is why, as Ruben tried to temper his brothers, I go to these fraternity conferences. Because I see myself in all these 17-year-olds who come to me, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, who come to me and say, well, we need to have pledge programs. How many of you have ever heard of a fraternity pledge program? Yes? No? Is there anyone who has not? I'll explain it anyway. So there's this idea that in a fraternity, you've got probationary membership for some period of time at which point you are judged by the chapter to be ready to be a member and you are initiated. In this probationary period, traditionally, the older brothers, these sage men of 20 years old, possibly 19 years old, with as many as 18 semesters of experience, 18 months of experience, judge whether you are a worthy person to be their brother. And so as I showed up at my chapter that I was mentoring this weekend, uh, the Oklahoma University chapter of the Sigma Chi fraternity, I got an earful of that from them of, oh no, you know, these kids who are 17 and coming in, they don't, know how to be, they don't know how to be college students, they don't know how to be brothers, so those of us who are 20 need to teach them. 
and I suppressed laughter. It was hard. It was hard, but I suppressed laughter. Because I remember what it was like to be Joseph. I remember what it was like to be there and to say, no, it's really important that these people learn to value the things that I value. That these people learn to have respect for the institutions that I respect. And I also remember what it was like to not have any idea what that meant. Because that's the story we get in Joseph and his brothers. They all want Joseph to respect their family order. They all want Joseph to respect what it is the family stands for and the family legacy. But they don't understand what it is that they're upholding. They, instead of upholding the things that they think they are, the things that are good, the things that bring their family together, the, the family of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob, they are raising up the family of Esau, the family of violence, the family of bitterness and resentment against Joseph. And in my fraternity experience, I see the same thing, that we have choices to make. And it's a fight that the fraternity's been having for a long time. We have choices to make. Do we remember the institutions of our past when our houses were not welcome to anyone that did not look a certain way, were not welcome to anyone who did not act a certain way, and were welcome to women in a very unwelcome way? Or can we turn it around so that instead of throwing Jacob into a well, Joseph into a well, we are instead reaching out to him and saying, Joseph, tell me more about this dream. Explain to me how it is that we're going to bow down to you. Explain to me what it means to you that we're going to do that. Because in the fraternity, what we have the chance to do is to train a generation of young men who are predisposed to see the world in a very easy way, in a way without hard choices in a way that opens their minds to new things and opens their minds to the possibility, however slight, that they may be wrong. And so I had the joy of watching last weekend a 70-year-old priest, Father Francis Xavier Flynn, Skip, uh, who is the Grand Tribune of the Sigma Chi fraternity, give a 45-minute lecture on sexual assault prevention to a bunch of 19-year-old college students, step back, picture this in your mind. 75-year-old priest, okay? Put it in your mind. Dress him up. Now put him in a Hawaiian shirt. Now have him spouting things like pressing the sheets a lot and other euphemisms I frankly do not feel comfortable sharing with you. As he instructs them not only on the dangers of acting stupidly with regards to sex, but also of the dangers to themselves. The dangers that come when we treat women as objects and not as loved children of God. The dangers to their own well-being, and he did not use this rule, but their own souls when they did not understand it. So what he was doing there and I was doing there was asking the question, friends, you have not met people like us. And you may not understand where we are coming from, but we have been where you are and have questions for you and respect you. 
And this is a long story about what it is that I do there, and I feel like I'm partly Reuben. But I also want to share with you my struggle, because as we learned, Jacob struggled with God, and that is what marked Jacob as different. Everyone else who sees God dies in the Bible. That's tradition. Moses does not see God. Moses sees where God was. Jacob meets God face to face. We call him an angel of God sometimes. That's not what the text says. It says God. So the transformation comes in not knowing you're right. The transformation comes in not understanding what you're doing. And the transformation comes in not understanding what you're doing, but be, being willing and open to the struggle that we see. And this is what I share with you today, too, that I know all the things that are wrong with this group that I associate myself with, and I struggle with it. But I feel like I owe it to these people to show them a different way, to ask the questions that Joseph was not asked, and to embrace love instead of bitterness. Because this is what we get. This is our choice. And all of you have different contexts in which you see people who you think are making bad choices. But we do. We see people we think are making bad choices, right? You each have a different context for it. And we each of us have this choice to make. Are we like Joseph's brothers? Do we say, this choice you make is the end of our association, either figuratively or literally, in their case? Or is this choice you make the beginning of another conversation in which we can hope to see you into a new path? Is this choice you make something that is something that was born out of your youth and an experience? And can we recognize that? And can we remember that and ask new questions that bring you to a place of self-control and of wisdom? Is it the end of the story that you were an annoying 17-year-old? Or have we seen annoying 17-year-olds before that turn into great and beautiful women and men? This is the story that we struggle with. Where is God in the story of Joseph? Is it only in his dream? Or is it in our understanding that what his brothers did was beyond the pale and we should not replicate it? So this is the thing that I leave you with. I left my fraternity conference with joy because my Oklahoma boys had learned by the end of their week there that instead of asking the pledges to respect them and the brothers, their job is in fact to make the brothers respect the pledges so that was a small victory on my part. And so this week as we go out, I ask you, look around. See someone you think is disrespectful. See someone you think is foolish. See someone you think doesn't know what they're talking about. And ask them about it. And see what their answer is. And push them. Push them in a nice and genial way, but push them. Tell me more about that. Tell me more about how you came to that conclusion. Tell me more about what you think you're doing. I want to hear from you and I want to learn from you. This is what I want you to do this week. Because in that discussion, in that struggle with ourselves and how we feel and our desire to fix them, we find God together. So bring that out into the world this week.